He says in chapter 14, You are the children of the Lord your God. You shall not cut yourselves, make any baldness between your eyes for the dead. You are holy people, and God has chosen you to be a peculiar people unto himself, above all the nations that are upon the earth. Verses 1 and 2. You're just a people that are to be separated unto God, different from anybody else. Now, he deals with their diets, which we've already gone through, as we went through the book of Leviticus, as we dealt with the animals that were clean and unclean. And he pretty much just repeats out of Leviticus the things that were given that were edible and inedible, as far as the animals and the fish and the birds. And you're not to eat anything that dies by itself. Now, you can give it or sell it to a stranger, but you're not to eat it yourself. But you shall eat before the Lord your God in the place which he shall choose to place his name there. Verses, verse 23. Now, if it's too far for you to go to Jerusalem to carry it, then sell it and wrap the money in a bag. And then when you get to Jerusalem, buy your meat. Take it and offer it in sacrifice and whatever, and eat and have a great big feast before God. You don't have to lug your ox all the way from Dan down to Jerusalem, but go ahead and sell it. And then when you get to Jerusalem, buy another one and eat whatever you want and have a feast. Enjoy eating together and fellowshipping together with God. At the end of every seven years, you're to make a release. Chapter 15, verse 1. All of the debts were to be forgiven in the seventh year. Now, you're not to demand it again after the seventh year. You're not to ask for it again except for a foreigner or a stranger. Then you can demand it from them. But of the children of Israel, it had to be totally forgiven. Now, also if it were, say, the sixth year, the seventh year was coming up very soon, and some guy says, oh, hey, I, I'd like to borrow some money. You shouldn't think of in your mind, oh, this is the sixth year. I don't want to loan it to him because it will be forgiven in eight months, you know? He said, don't figure it that way. If he's poor, go ahead and give it to him. Now, God is very interested in the welfare of the poor and that we be interested in the welfare of the, welfare of the poor. And here is protecting the poor. And if a poor man comes to you and he's wanting help, you're not to think, oh, this is so close to the seventh year. I don't want to give it. That's wrong thinking, God says. Go ahead and loan it to him anyhow, and then forgive it. Now, in Proverbs, we read, he who lends to the poor lends unto the Lord. Proverbs 19, 17. And I think that's a good thing to remember. Rather than exacting the debts from the poor, just say, well, I loan to the Lord and the Lord will repay. Now, I think loaning money to God is a good thing. I think he pays fantastic interest. And he who lends to the poor lends unto the Lord because God takes the cause of the poor. God takes up the cause of the poor every time. And God is very interested in the poor of the land because they're going to always be with us. In verse 11, the poor shall never cease out. You're always going to have poor people, Jesus said. The poor you will have with you always. Matthew 26, 11.
he was quoting here from Deuteronomy, they'll always be poor. Then thus, we should always have a heart and a concern for the poor. Now, if you bought a slave who was a Hebrew, man or woman, then they were to serve you for six years, but in the seventh year, you had to set them free. And you shall not send them out empty, but give them liberally from your flock and from your store and from your wine press, because you're to remember that you were a slave once in Egypt, verses 13 through 15. Now, if you have a slave and the seventh year came up and it's time for him to be set free and he likes and he comes to you and says, hey, I like it here. You're a good boss. I've got good security and I, I just enjoy working for you and I don't want to be free. I want to remain your slave. Then you were to take him, and you were to take an awl, and you were to drive it through his ear, and you were to pin his ear to the doorpost of your house. Ouch! And that signified a bond slave by choice. And they'd usually put a gold earring in or, or uh, some sort of ring in the earlobe, and that was a sign that that man was a slave by choice. He had made his own free will choice to be a slave, and that was the sign of it, the golden ring in the ear. I'm a slave by choice for life. And once you had made that decision, then you would never be set free, but you had that choice that you could make it. If you loved your master, you wanted to serve him, you'd say, well, hey man, I don't want to leave. I love serving you and working for you. And so the little ritual of piercing your ear with the all, pinning it to the post, and thus a slave for life, a doulos, a bond slave. Now, this is a kind of bond slave that we have become of Jesus Christ. Paul, a douloi, an, an apostle, a bond slave of Jesus Christ. But it's by choice. Lord, I love serving you. I want to serve you. I don't want to do anything but serve you. I want to serve you for life, a bond slave, a doulos. Of Jesus Christ. What a neat thing it is to be a bond slave of the Lord. Serve him for life by choice. He doesn't force us and he didn't force me. It was my choice. I chose to serve him for my life. And so there is a beautiful parallel as you read it there. Verse chapter, chapter 16. In chapter 16 we now deal with the various feasts that they were to observe when they came into the land. And we have rehearsed these as we went through earlier in the book of Exodus. So you're to keep the feast of the Passover in the first month, the month of April, and no leavened bread and those things of the Passover. Then you may not keep then you may not keep the Passover in any of the cities of the land, but the city that God appointed for his place of worship. In other words, they had to come to Jerusalem. They couldn't just keep it in any of the cities they wanted to. Then they were to keep the feast of Pentecost, the seven weeks after Passover. And then the next day, the 50th day, they were to keep the feast of Pentecost, the ingathering, and then the feast of tabernacles in the 10th month. And you shall rejoice in your feast, verse 11. Again, the commandments to rejoice, and in verse 15, the very end, therefore you shall surely rejoice. Verse 15. God doesn't want any long-faced, griping service. God wants you to serve him with a rejoicing heart. God wants, to, wants you to be giving with a rejoicing heart. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 9-7, God loves a hilarious giver. 
Now, that is why your giving should never be by pressure. It should never be by constraint. Your giving to God should always be a free will giving with a rejoicing heart. Whatever you give to God of time or service or whatever, you should always give it with a rejoicing heart. If you can't give it with a rejoicing heart, then don't give it at all. It's better that you not give at all than to give and gripe about it. God can't stand griping. I mean, it upsets him. And I can understand that. I've been around people who have offered things to me and I thought they were genuinely offering them to me. So when I took them, then I heard them griping. Well, man, I just took it back as quick as I could and said, hey, I don't need this. You keep it. I don't want anything given to me that people are going to gripe about. But God can't stand people griping over what they've given to him. And that's why he constantly emphasizes the free will, the free choice, as you determine in your own heart and give hilariously. I mean, God loves the hilarious, the cheerful giver. And that's the way God wants you to give to him. And so rejoicing and rejoicing and rejoicing in the sacrifices, in the worship, in the giving to God. He wants you to be a happy people, a rejoicing people. Let's not disappoint him. Now, three times a year, the male, the man was supposed to appear before the Lord at a place that God would appoint. So later on, when Jerusalem became that city that God appointed, three times every year, every adult Jewish male was required to come to Jerusalem for the three feast days, Passover, Pentecost, and the Feast of Tabernacles. They were required to be there in that assembly before God. And don't appear before the Lord empty. Every man shall give as he is able, according to the blessing of the Lord your God, which he has given you. Verses 16 and 17. Now, when you get into the land, you're supposed to appoint judges in every city, and in the gates of the city was to be the place of judgment. And you were to bring your matters before the judges who sat in the gates of the city, and they would judge over the land. And to those judges, he commanded that they were not to receive any bribes, for it can blind the eyes of the wise and pervert the words of the righteous. Verse 19. Now, God in the 16th chapter here closed the exhortation, declaring, Neither shall you set up any image which the Lord your God hates. Deuteronomy 16:22. God hates images. Now, I don't think God has changed. If he hated images then, he no doubt hates images now. And God declared, you're not to set up any image which I hate. An image is always a sign of a deteriorating spiritual life. For the image is intended to be a reminder. And whenever you need a reminder, it indicates that you have lost something vital of that awareness and consciousness of God, rather than having that awareness and consciousness. As Paul writes in Acts 17.28, in him we live, we move, we have our being, and by and be aware of God's presence with me. I've lost that awareness, that consciousness. So what do I do? I start carving out an image so that every time I see that image, I'll be reminded of God. So the image always speaks of a degraded or deteriorated 
spiritual state. It testifies to my loss of the consciousness of the presence of God with me at all times and in all places. And God hates images. I think that it is tragic that in so many of the great churches and, and cathedrals, they have images within them, inasmuch as God hates them. And I'll just leave you with that. Shall we pray? May the Lord be with you and bless you and keep you. May he bring you into a fresh awareness of his presence. And may you experience a fresh work of God within your lives, that you might walk before him this week in the path of righteousness, pleasing unto him. May God help you in those areas of your life where you experienced failures in your past. And may you experience God's power and God's strength helping you to overcome, that you will not be overcome with evil, but you will overcome evil with good. Though his spirit working in you, may you come into a deeper relationship of love, love before God and love for each other. And especially may God give you a heart of praise and a heart of rejoicing so that your life might be pleasing to him as you rejoice in the Lord always. God bless and keep you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.